From Orms, this is Orms Air, where we unpack and investigate the compelling questions at the forefront of our creative community's consciousness. Joined by the artists, photographers, and creators brave enough to step up to the mic and join us in discussion. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Orms Air, the Orms podcast. Today, in our digital studio, we are joined by a content creator making waves on YouTube for her honest and open creations surrounding gender identity and trans visibility. Of course, we're talking with Zoe Black. Join us as we discuss authentic representations of trans lives, the importance language has in our perception of ourselves, and gain a deeper understanding of the force driving Zoe's work. We can just jump right in. Is hey. this your first podcast? Uh, no, I, I have recorded one before. Okay, yeah. cool. So you're you're a pro at this then. I don't need to be gentle. Yeah, completely. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Okay, so Zoe, um, what was your first introduction to content creation, photography, and making videos? So I studied uh, theatre and performance. A while ago, uh, and I worked in the theater and film industry for a bit. Um, So I had kind of experience in front of the camera, uh, nothing necessarily behind the camera. Yeah. Following my very brief uh, (laughs) appearance in my performance career, I I then started working more like uh, production behind the scenes, uh, project management Mm -hmm. around theater productions. And I've kind of always had thing for photography specifically and I think the more that I worked in the industry the more I started to like film Mm -hmm. specifically and that was kind of like the beginnings of it I think I remember like back in the day when I was growing up my my dad used to also like be into like photography and film Mm -hmm. on any kind of professional level but it was just kind of like a hobby and he would film myself and my brother as kids yeah. and make these little home movies. So I, I kind of had like this, I was primed for, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, for some kind of like career in in uh, filmmaking, I guess, yeah. or in the arts. And yeah, I mean, subsequently went to study theater and performance, then worked behind the scenes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I worked at after the film school here in Cape Town for a oh, little cool. bit, doing some admin for them. And that's really like, I really started to get very interested in the, the learning of the filmmaking which was really yeah. interesting for me uh, working with students uh, it was kind of, I mean I've never done that formally mm-hmm. in kind of running back the admin systems for some of the departments uh, there were things that I picked up and in conversations with students and I kind of just broadly took an interest in it mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of like my my background in it so yeah I, I I'd always had this, this fascination with film it's mm. like I love the medium so so much yeah it's almost like a, a way to to share stories and sort of like experiences that transcends language, which is, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it very much is. I, like I, I find like the, the, the craft uh, allowing me to do that in ways that I could like never do like in a, like in a one-on-one conversation with somebody. Yeah. Like it, the medium is quite extraordinary. It is. It's exciting. It's exciting, I think, is the, is the thing. What motivated you to start creating content, um, specifically the content that you're creating now, which is very, very focused on highlighting trans issues and sharing your visibility on Instagram and your YouTube channel and obviously your blog? 
So there's a little bit of a backstory there. Mm-hmm. So when when ISIS came out a number of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, that was a very difficult time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I remember where I was. I was I was literally in the bath and I was on my phone mm-hmm. and I was like scrolling on YouTube as you know one does and scrolling through like random yeah. content and this like random channel that was done by a a gender therapist. Mm-hmm. that was studying at some university in the USA, uh, they had put up a YouTube channel around uh, gender identity. And I was watching this introductory video to this thing. And the person was like asking questions like, uh, do you feel awkward in your body? Have you had like uh, issues uh, relating to how you feel about your gender? Blah, 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 and a whole list of questions. And the person goes, well, I give you saying yes to kind of some of these questions, there's the possibility that you might be trans. And then I'm like, what, 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 what? Went to watch the next video and the next and the next and the next. And I was like, oh, okay, wow, 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 wow. Uh, I got out of the bus and uh, I said to my partner at the time, look, you got out of the bus. And mm-hmm. I was like, um, I, I think I'm trans. And they were like, okay. And that was the end of that conversation. And subsequent to that, I started to try to find more and more content. Yeah. Uh, as a way of trying to unpack and process the things that were happening in my head. Yeah. And I found a lot of uh, things, uh, narratives around things in the USA, mm. uh, things in Europe, Australia as well. But there was almost no accessible content here, South yeah. African, African locally. And that made it very, very difficult for me um, to latch onto narratives and trying to understand my own position and the things that were happening to me and the experiences that I was having. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that was really, really difficult. I was pretty much left to try and figure things out on my own. Mm. And some time went by, I was thinking about it, and I decided that I wanted to um, make my experience public. Yeah. And I then, because I, I initially when I came out, I told my, my partner and my close friends and family, mm. And then I, I pretty much like came out on, on Facebook and on my social media yeah. and stuff. And people were like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were a few like problematic people, but we, we left them by the wayside because they don't matter. No. Uh, and I then decided, you know what, I'm going to take this and I'm going to start a blog. Mm-hmm. And the blog for me was really a way to one, make, experiences like mine uh, accessible to people like me yeah um and then secondly it was also a way for me to to process out aloud the mm. things that were happening in my head uh, because I, I i am that type of person i i'm the person that needs to talk about it with other people i yeah. need to engage with it I'm, i need to express it in some kind of way um and so i started the blog mm-hmm. and the blog went kind of well like i got like a lot of Great feedback. And the thing that I was wanting to do with it in terms of uh, visibilizing those narratives, mm. I came through so strongly. Like there were so many people that reached out to me, said, thank you so much for posting this or talking about that because I'd been thinking or studying with the same thing. And it's nice to hear, even though there wasn't any kind of like, you know, solutions to any kind of problems that I was facing. But just the fact that there was somebody to bounce an idea or, or somebody to, to know that there was somebody that had a shared experience yeah. like yours was and that was really, really amazing uh, for me. And then very recently, 
I took that blog and I kind of extended it a little bit and started a YouTube channel, which people have been telling me to do for a while. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it's lockdown, like I've got time on my hands. Mm. I, and then I did it. I posted the first video and I wasn't, I was really, really nervous to be really honest. Like, wow. Wow. Like the feel of the criticism was so real. I mean, uh, I published that first video and it was amazing. Like the, the, like not just necessarily the feedback, but to express myself in that particular medium Mm -hmm. that I'd always been attracted to was quite cathartic for me. And I think I'm like, what? a month, two months in, two months into my YouTube channel. And it's kind of taken off and people have responded really positively. Uh, uh, People are asking me to speak on platforms about certain issues like this as well. So it's It's amazing. It's really, really been amazing um, for me personally. This very much ties into sort of your your presence in the 2019 four-part documentary series, SCIF which tackles the realities of the LGBTQIA plus experience in South Africa, which aired on Network 24. And guys, will link it in the show notes so you guys can go and watch it. But you sort of touched on this discovery of the idea of transness or trans community or a trans identity. And I love the language that you use in that documentary. And I think you've, you've touched on it so beautifully now as well. But you speak about discovering the vocabulary to finally like have words to put to what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And then you go on to sort of explain the responsibility that then falls on you and your shoulders to disclose your identity constantly. And that idea of constantly coming out and you don't ever do it once. I love I, that that for me was such a was such a moment of like, oh, my gosh, that is exactly what it is. It's that every single day. And I think the YouTube channel for that is just incredible because I mean, you are, you're coming out every day and you're sharing your experiences and allowing somebody else to sort of connect and see that again, that they're not alone. And that's such an important thing for the community as a whole to know that they're not alone and they're not experiencing it by themselves. Yeah. The skiff documentary was uh, uh, quite amazing. Um, Ronaldo who produced it and shot it and Mm. everything did like all the wonderful things for that documentary, uh, I, I think we, we were aligned in, in a common vision, I think. And that's, I think why, uh, I was so keen to work with Ronaldo yeah. on that, uh, on that documentary series. I, I think to a large degree, um, <clears throat> like queer identities are often lacking representation, particularly in South African yeah. media and in South African narratives. And so when we write forms and when we, draft concepts for television series mm. um, and even like things in like magazine publications. Yeah. Uh, our identities are often left out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a real need for to visibilize uh, not just queer bodies, but queer experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I think that documentary really, really highlighted uh, on a spectrum of identities, what the experience was like to be queer yeah. in South Africa. The thing about language for me was so critical. Like again, like I said to you, I like we I, I came out, I was I was in the bath and watching this YouTube video and it was almost a, a light bulb moment yeah. for me. Um in l- watching this woman talk about gender identity in a very particular type of way. Mm. 
And I'd never had that language before, but suddenly after watching those videos, I acquired that language yeah. and I was like, oh my God, like, I, like there was no way that I could go back. Yeah. Like I, it's like, you can't un- understand a thing. Like once you know something, like you know it and it's with you forever. And it's yeah. the same for me with my gender identity. And once I had that language, it's almost like that was, that was the starting point. That was the building blocks for me in terms of unpacking uh, and understanding my own identity that had for a very long time uh, been squished and suppressed mm. and my, me not being able to allow it to express that or even have the ability to do that. Yeah. And so language is really, really important when we talk about, I mean, like we were even talking about the, the LGBTQIA plus yeah. acronym, like it's, it's growing and it's, uh, it's changing all the time because we're including new identities mm. in, the, in the spectrum of queer identity all the time. And so one has to be conscious of that all the time. All the time, like yeah. we, there's, a, there's a lot of work that I think needs to go around uh, in terms of like language and how we use that because mm-hmm. to a large degree, language gives you access to a particular type of expression, a particular type of understanding. But that also, at the same time, recognizing that uh, that English in and of itself is a, to be able to speak it as a first language is quite a privilege. And so if yeah. English isn't your first language, it makes it so much harder to acquire a particular type of vocabulary because for the majority of it, um, most of our, uh, the global content is produced universally in English. Yeah. So it does make things a little bit tricky, but I, yeah, that language thing for me was like, like a big moment. Mm. Yeah. Like finally understanding. Yeah. I love, I love that you, you discovered this language and this, you gained this understanding through YouTube and now you've sort of come full circle to becoming that person who is somebody who, you know, somebody else can see and actually understand like, oh, this person is representative of how I feel, who I am, and then acquire the language through your your content, which is beautiful. I mean, you've come, you've essentially come full circle. It's a lovely way to look at it. Yeah, I find that experience so weird for me because it's kind of like I'm in the, position that I wish somebody else was when I was, you know, first coming out. And I think for a lot of people, uh, they were also wanting that. And so there was, it was for myself personally, I almost felt a degree of responsibility Mm. to that. Um, Often for trans and gender diverse persons, uh, we are very much pushed to the fringes of society. I mean, we, we struggle to access like basic, basic services. Yeah. I'm talking about things like healthcare and education. Um, and so really I was in an extraordinary uh, position of privilege uh, to be able to just share my narrative that publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did feel that responsibility, but I'm so glad that I, that I took that on. Like I, I don't, it's interesting because I don't feel burdened by it. Like I do feel the responsibility of it and I enjoy taking that responsibility. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it weighs me down. It's yeah. in fact the opposite. It's something that gives me energy and it gives me fire. It's yeah. And I think the YouTube channel is a little bit of an extension of, of that. Yeah. There's a, there's actually a beautiful um, quote. I don't know who, who said it, but it's sort of in line with, if you haven't read the story that you want to read, you have to write it yourself. And I think that's, that's what you've done. Yeah. You've become that person that you wished you had when you were sort of, you know, understanding or growing up or 
just realizing what was going on and who you are. We're going to take a quick break and hydrate. But while we do that, you can help us make our creative community bigger by spreading the word and sharing Orm's Air with your community. We'd love to have you join the discussion and make your voice heard by DMing, inboxing, tweeting, emailing, or even carrier pigeoning your most burning creative thoughts, questions, and wanderings. Go on. You know you want to. So you, we sort of touched on this and you said like during lockdown, you, you started producing a lot of content for YouTube. Um, can we chat about a little bit more of the technical side of that? Yeah, we absolutely can. Um, <laughs> so again, so I'd been interested in photography uh, mm. for a while and uh, I had, I think this may have been in like 2012. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like 10 years ago, eight years speaking. Um, in 2012, I bought myself a very, like at the time it was new, it was a Nikon D3200. Mm-hmm. And I got into it. And for the most part, I'd been using it like kind of on and off. And so that camera was sitting kind of in my bag at the back of my cupboard because yeah. I hadn't used it in a little bit of a while. And then starting the channel, I was like, well, I'm just going to make it work with what I have. I uh, took out that old camera and then set it up and I've been using that to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I very quickly discovered, uh, again, with, you know, working in the industry, like there are other components to film, not yeah. just the actual camera itself, you know, things like lighting and sound and all these kind of little things that I started to think about uh, in the production of, uh, of, the, of the content. And I thought I need to get myself a microphone because there was no way that I could shoot it on that yeah. little bulk in microphone. Like the, the sound would have just been horrible. Yeah. And sound is like 90, it's like, sorry, it's like half of your picture. You know yeah. what I mean? Like sound is like so important. So I got myself a little microphone and I then shot a video just with that mic and a camera using like natural sunlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you go back to like the first videos that I shot, you will like notice that the lighting kind of changes yeah. from the beginning of the video, like as we go towards the end. And that's because literally the daylight is disappearing as I'm filming it. Yeah. And that became such a problem for me. Like, I mean, it's not like the biggest train smash in the world. You know, it's like a small budget, like little production thing that I'm running by myself in my bedroom. I like things to like look nice, you yeah, know? of course. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I, I need a light. And I did some Googling, did some homework. Mm-hmm. And I decided that there's no way that I'm going to afford professional studio lighting for it. Uh, and I went to a hardware store. I bought a little LED floodlight. I attached that to like this really cheap microphone stand put a box around it uh, and then I put this little uh, folder in front of the box yeah. and created my own little softbox lighting. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and in order to like, kind of like just make sure that the lighting is consistent, I now film when the sun is down. So I'm filming at night after work. <laughs> uh, so all the lights are off. So I've got like my little lamp on and I've got that LED light going and then I'm filming. So it's a, like a very <laughs> DIY setup that I've got for the videos, but I think it kind of looks nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, the lighting in your videos is incredible. It's so it's so beautifully soft. Are you still using yeah, that I, setup? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still filming with that. Like, 
it's like it's like it's doing the job that I needed to do. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, in one day when somebody pays me the big money, then they, you know, somebody can sponsor me some studio lighting. That would be wonderful. Uh, but for now, like that, that lighting setup is perfect mm. for me. Like I, I have no issues with it at all. Were your YouTube videos sort of your first introduction to um, editing? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. So I, again, uh, always been kind of interested in in film and things. And I would sometimes, uh, so when I was working in theater, I I was working for a company that was touring theater shows around the country. Mm -hmm. And I uh, kind of took my phone and filmed some stuff. Yeah. You know, like you take your phone and you're like just casually taking videos. Yeah. And I was sitting on the couch one day at one of the places of accommodation. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like take all this footage and kind of like bring it together. And then I did that. And then I kind of just like slapped like a soundtrack thing on it and tweeted and tweeted and tweeted. And then it kind of came out pretty nice. Like, I mean, I enjoyed it. It wasn't anything like professional or anything. Yeah. Uh, but I, it was like for my purposes, like it was something that I just enjoyed doing like the task of going through that motion of sitting down and editing. I actually really do love the edits. Yeah. It's like I get to like see like myself, like doing like all these like weird takes and like, the, you know, <laughs> and I have a little of a bit of a laugh with myself, but yeah. So, so that was kind of like my, my, like my experience in editing. And, uh, I did that for maybe like two or three videos only and yeah. then never visited again. And maybe I think between then and starting the YouTube channel, it may have been like five years or so since I've really sat down to edit anything at all. Mm-hmm. Editing that first video took a little bit of time to be very honest, because it was like, I had to like revisit all the things that I thought I knew and then things were changing and shifting. And also the format was different, you mm-hmm. know, like it was different platforms. So the editing requirements were different. Um, also did like a lot of homework around editing and uh, color grading and all kinds of stuff. Like did my homework properly. And then sat down finally did the edit my first video. I was kind of happy with it, published that. And every time I now publish a new video, I'm really working hard uh, in the post-production side mm. of things to kind of like kind of like up the quality, I guess, of, of my videos and yeah. the edits. And also then trying to think about the way that I'm going to edit it afterwards and what the final product is going to look like before I even film it or come up with a concept. So I'm really trying to work all of those things as like one unit. Yeah. Um, which I guess is easy like when it's a one man production because, you know, I don't have to consult anybody about it. Yeah. So. And you, yeah. I mean, you only have to really trust yourself with that, don't you? Like that's like a, like that works and sometimes it doesn't work because at the same time while I like I love what I do and I love the editing like I'm also like my like I'm like my worst critic like like I want to get things right you know yeah. like I want to like it's got to be good but at some point you've, you've got to let that go you've got to mm-hmm. let the perfection of the thing go and not let that get in the way of publishing your content and getting it out there for people to see otherwise I mean it's just going to sit on my laptop for like years and years yeah. and years of me tweaking things and trying to get everything perfect and right. So, because that uh, that inner critic, yeah. eh? She's always a bit of a can't swear on this, <laughs> but you know what I what I'm thinking. So, do you use like a specific video editing software for your videos? Uh, yeah, I'm. I've been working on Final Cut Pro okay, um, since like forever. Like when I initially did those first videos, I had like some like cash that I had saved up and I was looking at like video editing software. Mm-hmm. And because I was always on Mac, 
Yeah. I then purchased the Final Cut Suite. And at the time, it was like not as expensive as it was now. So I'm so glad yeah. <laughs> that I've managed to keep that like all the way through. So yeah, so I, I edit all my stuff on Final Cut. Like I, I, I don't know any other platform mm. uh, to edit my videos on. I mean, there are other free softwares mm. uh, that I had kind of looked at, but none of them could do the things that I was wanting to do with, yeah. with my videos. So. Yeah, uh, like Apple had me. Like when when I got my first iPhone, like they 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 had me like from there, and now yeah. everything is Apple. So yeah. I'm I'm locked in completely. <laughs> <laughs> You've drunk the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so it sounds like you you sort of I like I like this way of thinking. You sort of think from the end product all the way to the beginning. And when I say product, obviously I mean your videos and your content that you're creating. But do you do you script your videos or, or are you sort of like a, a wing it sort of presenter? It's a little bit of both. Mm. So um, when I when I when I think about a, a story that I want to tell, so this is usually how I, I try to think about the content that I want to deliver. I think about what it is that I'm wanting to say, what narrative I'm wanting to tell, yeah. and I look at what type of experience I'm looking to give mm. my particular audience with that particular video. Um, so. Uh, looking at what the, the end experience was, is, uh, or what, it, what I wanted to be, uh, I then almost work on multiple levels at the same time. So I'm looking at how I would tell a particular story. So looking at the mode and tone mm. of voice and all of that, combine that with what fits best with what type of script. Uh, I'm already thinking about what soundtrack is going to have and as opposed to layering that on afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so really, it's like I'm trying to think about everything at the same time, which makes things in my head a little bit cluttered sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but for the script specifically, um, I like to give myself room to just talk. I think for me, to a large degree, uh, things can become a little bit mechanical if you're working off a script. Um, yeah, totally. Particularly if you're starting out. Like when I remember when I first shot my first video, I almost scripted the entire thing. And I shot it, and I hated it. Mm. And that was just for me personally. Like, like I hated it. Uh, and then I deleted the whole script and I went back and I just wrote kind of like major talking points. And I structured that in a way that made sense in a, in a kind of storytelling way. Yeah. And I've been working like that ever since I, I, yeah, there's, there's something about like reading from a script. If mm. that makes sense or memorize, trying to memorize something that doesn't read as well on, on a platform like YouTube, like mm-hmm. so, I, because I had worked in the theater and film industry, I mean, like learning scripts not necessarily an issue for me. So that does work in like a theater and film context, mm-hmm. but the YouTube platform is a little bit in the way that I'm engaging with the platform is, is kind of slightly different. Where I'm actually talking directly to the camera, yeah. and there is it's almost like putting a script in front of that creates a bit of a filter, and I don't want that filter there. Yeah. For some people, the filter is useful, but for me, for my purposes. No. So I've got like a whole bunch of like talking points and bullet points, uh, which makes the editing process a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Because like more than half of the footage I'm throwing up because it's just me like rambling on about some random point that has no bearing to the story. Yeah. So I've got to really sit with the fine tooth comb and filter through some of the things to get that story and that narrative coming through mm. uh, for the videos that I'm making. And it, I think I feel like you can you can see it because you can you can hear that like authentic voice coming through, and it it really does feel like you are just having like a full on connection with 
I would say me as the viewer you know what I mean and it's such a such a beautiful experience to have it's like being allowed into somebody's like home you know and you have a cup of tea and you just have a chat yeah I suppose yeah. it like it would be diff- a totally different ball game if I was like I don't know running say uh, a beauty channel or a tech channel yeah. reviewing product like I don't know like the I almost want to say that that point of connection wouldn't necessarily be as critical because like the kind of a product is yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing that's important there. But for like my content, like mind really heavily relies on that, on that authenticity, mm. on that connection, that, that really personal one-on-one yeah. connection with each individual audience member. And I honestly, I don't think having a filter between me and that is, like the, the fewer filters I have, the better I think. Yeah. And I think that's probably why the channel has been getting the kind of feedback that it has mm. because of that, that element. To yeah. it, you know? So I'm really, I try really, really hard to, to yeah. push that uh, in my own filmmaking. I guess. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, talking about all of the things that you're doing, which are rather extensive, um, sort <laughs> of like you can tell, I mean, you can see that from your YouTube video. I think you, You've got it listed under your little about about Zoe section. Um, so you are you work as a legal and educational advocacy officer at a nonprofit organization called Gender Dynamics, and I've just had a cat come into <laughs> the podcast recording. Um, and you are <laughs> she clearly wants the attention. Um, sorry, back to back to what I was saying. Um, and you are currently completing your law degree. And on top of all of this, you are constantly creating content and um, for all of your channels. So how do you how do you juggle like all of these different facets of your life? The honest answer is I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so so I work I work full time for uh, for a nonprofit organization, mm. um, um, uh, and really uh, my work is in uh, gender advocacy and uh, yeah. advocacy for trans rights uh, and that job is is quite demanding I, I, I will say that I can imagine, um, yeah. and then I I'm I'm also yes doing my studying my law degree through UNISA mm-hmm. and doing the YouTube thing as well and the, trying to keep up with the blog as well mm. it's like it is a lot, it is uh, a lot. I, like people constantly asking me like, like how do you do this like I don't understand and it's weird for me uh, because like I just do it mm. you know um, I think to a large degree, I think people like in their, their own selves, they are, I think people like project their own position onto mine. So they go, oh, it's like I was you. I don't know how I would do that. And yeah. so they, therefore the question arises because they can't see how they could fit that kind of schedule into their life. But I think it's because the work that I really do is like, I'm really passionate about it. Mm. Like, like so much. Like I think, I don't think I'm doing any of this like for money necessarily. I mean, like, yes, I'm holding down a job because obviously one needs to earn an income. Um, but, uh, I'm, I, I do the work because I really, really love it. Mm. And I think because I have that drive for the work and I love the work so much, I, I, I find a way to make that work Mm. for myself. There are, I will admit like there are, there are days and sometimes weeks where I really don't want to, Form anything, or there are some days where I'm like, I'm supposed to be working on my assignment for constitutional law today, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Uh, so, 
that said, it's part of where for me, like discipline becomes like a really big thing. Like I'm the kind of person that literally schedules everything. Like if you see my calendar, everything is in there. Yeah. Like everything. Like if I need to go to the shop, that's in my calendar. <laughs> uh, so it's just a way for me to manage my time, I guess, more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there are lots of people who are doing what I'm doing mm. and doing more than what I'm doing and managing and coping really, really fine. Like I think you'd be surprised at how much you could do if you really wanted to do it, yeah. I guess. Like it is a lot, but it's fun. Yeah. I enjoy it. But I think this is the secret, right? You have to choose the things that you are most passionate about. And then there's that, that weird saying where it's like, do something you're passionate about. And every day it's not work. It's like actual enjoyment. Also just say props to you for studying through UNISA because I studied through UNISA and I feel like you deserve a second degree on top of the degree that you're getting just for studying through UNISA and no bad, no bad blood with UNISA. Great organization, but wow, (laughs) difficult, eh? Yeah, UNISA is, um, is a lot sometimes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, wow. Also the fact that like, you know, like you, you don't have like any lectures or anything to like, like you you know, like bounce any kinds of ideas or you just like, they're like, here's your books study write your exam yeah and you're like huh what what but like self-discipline like <laughs> lots of that lots of that clearly i mean all of these i think that's also the thing like we have this weird narrative where it's like you gotta hustle you gotta hustle you gotta hustle and a lot of us like find that completely exhausting and almost like like a dangerous sort of narrative to have and then seeing somebody who's so capable of juggling all of these different things like I think for a lot of us, it's almost like a point of, well, why can't I do that? Where Where is my strength in that? But maybe that's also a point to step back and look at the things that you're trying to do and figure out why you're struggling. Because if you're, if you're as passionate as you clearly are about all of these different facets of your life, it would be not easy because obviously a lot of, a lot of work goes into everything that you do, but it would be less of a hustle, if that makes sense. I think like I agree like that. I, I do think like the hustle culture mm. is, can be sometimes very, very toxic. Yeah. Um, you know, like we, there was this narrative going around that, oh, it's lockdown. So if you're not like, you know, doing anything to like improve your game or whatever, then you've lost out on an Ugh. opportunity. Like, I, I think that's like a very dangerous narrative mm. to push. I think people, like your free time is your free time and you should be able to spend that however you choose. If it makes you happy to spend time with your friends and your family, mm that's something that you should do. Like you shouldn't necessarily feel pressure to be generating things or working all the time. Um, like I do it. I occupy some of my free time with creating videos because that's something that I like to do. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I like there's nothing wrong with, you know, just going to your job, coming home, cooking dinner, having a glass of wine and chilling. Like yeah. it's fine. Like it's not, not put pressure on everybody to like juggle 10,000 things. I juggle it because I like it. Yeah. Before we continue unpacking this topic, we would like to give a big thank you to Orms, without whom this wonderful podcast would not be possible. Orms is a cornerstone of the creative community in South Africa, offering industry-leading support, the latest gear, and world-class display options to photographers, artists, and visual creators, both locally and internationally. As always, you can find out everything you need to know by visiting ormsdirect.co.za. The link can also be found in the show notes for this episode. Now let's get back to the discussion. 
So you are also, among all of these other things, a published author, which is so exciting. So in 2019, you were one of the contributors to the collection of essays called They Called Me Queer, um, which is obviously a collection of essays by individuals who fit into the queer narrative in South Africa. And again, guys, the book lounge has this in stock. So please, I will link it in the show notes. Guys, go get your copy. I am going to get mine. Very excited. Um, so can we can we just sort of touch on this project? How did you become involved with this? That was a really amazing project to be a part of. Can I just like start off by saying that? Like, like wow. Um, I was approached by a friend of mine, um, Kelly Eve Koopman, who is, uh, who put the book together and was the author yeah. of the book. Um, and they were putting together a collection of stories and narratives yeah. uh, around queer identities in South Africa specifically. They had asked me if I wanted to contribute something to the book. And I thought this was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it spoke to like queer visibility and sharing of queer narratives, which is like very much in alignment with, uh, with what I'd been doing in my personal blog space. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, sure, Craig, send me the brief. What is it that you want from me? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they sent it to me and a few months went by. I just sat on it. I, I didn't do anything because I didn't know what to write. Yeah. Now I've been writing my blog like forever, but that's different, you know, like I'm writing it for myself mm-hmm. and like it really didn't necessarily take the audience into consideration with the blog. It's just, you know, me my my feelings and my thoughts all over the internet. Yeah. Um, and so that made writing the the piece for the book a little bit difficult for me. Uh, I remember starting to write and then writing like a page or two and then hating it and then deleting the whole thing and starting again and starting again and starting again because I I think I was trying to write something for somebody else yeah. and that's not how I'd written before. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write it the way that I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I then decided that I was going to write it in the way that I traditionally written my blog, which was from my perspective and for me. And so I penned effectively a letter to my younger self. Oh, that's amazing. Talking about things that I wish I knew Yeah. now. So it was, it was a very intimate thing for me, mm-hmm. uh, writing that letter. Um, I, I remember like, like when I started typing the thing, once I had the idea, like it just, it poured out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it through once and I did it back to myself. I did it out aloud and I was, I was almost crying because mm-hmm the letter was saying all the things that I, that I needed to, to hear at the time. And I sent that to, uh, Kitty Eve and like, yeah, great. Thank you. And they did some minor, you know, copyright, uh, copy editing. And it was published in the book and that book was published, I think last year. Mm -hmm. And it was such a beautiful read, like the stories that were coming through, from a spectrum of identities was was incredible. Yeah. Um, the book launch was also really amazing. We had people from all over, um, both queer and straight people. It's like it was so amazing. Um, and I think the book is 
in a similar way to what my blog was and what the YouTube channel is now, was giving life mm. to those narratives and to those identities. And so really that book was, was amazing. I'd always recommend people go and read it. It's really, really nice because the the, the book is like a collection of, of stories by different authors. So yeah. you can, I don't know, take five minutes out of a day to read like one person's yeah. little contribution to the thing and that'd be enough. Uh, and that's how I actually read the book. I, I didn't read it in one go. I, I like to put it bite out pieces because it was nice to read something and let that settle and digest mm. for a bit and then come back to it at a later stage and then yeah. pick up on the next bit. So, yeah, it really was an amazing project to be a part of. And um, I can imagine that it, that the experience of writing a letter to your younger self, it sounds incredibly cathartic and like... I know that it's a, it's almost a technique um, that a lot of psychologists use for um, what is the word? Yeah, well, you write it, you write a letter to your younger self, and you almost like accept and create that relationship again. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, um, so I had gone to therapy for a while, and that was something that we used to constantly do. Yeah, um, and there is quite a there's quite a power in that. Yeah, incredible um, power. Yeah. And then I can I can't even imagine the the bravery that it must have taken to share that that intimate moment with yourself with a whole bunch of eyes, you know. I just it's amazing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't think like I'll like I'll ever get like past mm. that. Like I like even shooting the the videos for me or or sometimes like a little bit nerve wracking. Uh, because like I, I I guess like I'm I I'm always mindful of like not like criticism necessarily mm. but like being that like being that vulnerable is like takes a lot yeah. uh, for me personally. Um, other people are very like I mean they share things all the time and they, that really doesn't phase them. But like for me, it, it really does. Like it opens me up to like stuff. Yeah. And then I've got a you know debrief after this, you know just to calm the nerves a little mm-hmm. bit or yeah but it's beautiful to be vulnerable like that um in like in my experience every time that i've done that and every time i've shared a, a video or a post on instagram or on facebook um i think people see the vulnerability and that's something that they respond to generally positively yeah because i think i think a lot of us um understand the amount of strength that actually goes into that allowing yourself to be so vulnerable in such a public space. You've sort of mentioned in um, previous interviews that you really loved the Netflix show Sense8, which, I mean, if our listeners haven't watched that yet, guys, you are in for a joyous weekend. It's a long weekend. Oh, no, this is not going to come out by then. I'm sorry. I just completely messed that up. But if there is a long weekend on the horizon when you guys hear this, Get on Sensei if you haven't watched it, because it is incredible. It's so beautifully gentle and so... Oh, no, okay, now I'm just having flashbacks of how it made me feel. <laughs> and it's just smiles and, like, warmth, you know? Um, so are there any other sort of documentaries or films or episodic shows that feature, like, excellent portrayals of trans and gender-diverse characters that you, you have found poignant? So yeah, so Sensei is that is that is that big one. Yeah. Like for me, per, like like Sensei has like a very special place, like uh, in my heart for me. Like uh, watching Jamie Clayton uh, mm. being a, 
like an actual fully realized trans character in Sense8 was like wow for me. Yeah. So I, I think I've watched Sense8 like five or six times over like about three, how many seasons are there? Two? Yeah. Yeah. Watched it over and over and over again. It's amazing. Um, the other show was actually also another Netflix uh, documentary that was very recently released mm-hmm. that was produced by Laverne Cox. Uh, it's called Disclosure. And Disclosure is a docky about um, trans representation and visibility mm. in uh, media in the United States. Mm. And it is incredible. Yeah. Like, wow, wow, wow. Like, I recommend that everybody, like, if you have Netflix, go and watch Disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it and I, I cried, like, through most of it. It was very close to me i think mm-hmm. uh for a lot of trans people that i'd uh, spoken to who had watched the docky um they were like no like the, like the documentary for us is a lot it's very personal very very close to home uh because we can relate to all those experiences like thousands of things it's mm-hmm. Cox has done an amazing job uh with that documentary mm-hmm. so if you can go and watch disclosure which is a documentary the other show mm-hmm. is pose uh, Pose is the other big one. Uh, Pose is uh, set uh, in New York um, around the the ballroom culture. I think it's in the in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. Fantastic cast. It's like a really an amazing show into the. It's like a little bit of a window into ballroom culture, into queer mm-hmm. culture, particularly like trans culture. Um, around what it meant to be trans in that time and how that has impacted the way that we see trans people today and how we engage with them today. Um, The struggles that trans people faced back in the day really came through very, very strongly in public. Uh, And a lot of those same struggles are the same struggles that we have today. Mm. Um, So go and watch both. Also, both is like amazing entertainment. Like it's just like you'll watch it and you'll just be like, that's amazing. (laughs) And Billy Porter, I mean... Need we say I mean, more? It's very important. Oh, sorry. That le- um, disclosure. I know I've interrupted you now, but disclosure. Mm. I I literally get goosebumps just thinking about it. Like it. Oh my gosh, so beautiful. And Laverne Cox, she really did such an incredible job, just producing and getting all of those stories together, and then getting them to sort of become such a beautifully succinct narrative throughout. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah, like the, the storytelling is really oh, excellent uh, yeah. uh, in Disclosure. Like the, the way that she crafted that narrative, mm. um, I'm not that she was like, you know, uh, telling anybody what to say, but the way that those stories were weaved together uh, to give you this picture of where we are now for uh, for representation of uh, trans identities mm. was, like that was really, really incredible. Like so many fields. The whole way through, like yeah. wow. We had three three of us crying on our couch watching it. I think, yeah, and I think I'm I'm gonna echo I'm gonna echo you on that. Everybody, just please go and watch Disclosure. Just educate yourself. Just form form a deeper understanding. I think that's that's a very important a very important message, especially in these times. So, do you have any favorite um, local queer or and or gender diverse creators that you would like to give a shout out to on Orm's Air. And then we can link them in the show notes and get them some traction. <laughs> also, 
If you uh, have a really long oh, wow. list, you can always email it to me and we can just like put them in there. Yeah, maybe I should mail you that list. <laughs> um, it's like the, uh, there are a lot of like uh, queer, um, specifically queer content creators mm. uh, out there who have been doing really, really amazing things. Um, uh, I have a lot of, of friends uh, in the theater and film world mm-hmm. who, who have just been like doing the most since forever. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to mail you a list of people and you can link that yes. uh, to the podcast and people can go and check out their Instagrams, go check out their Facebooks, mm. uh, see the amazing, amazing work that they have done. Mm-hmm. We'll have a, we'll have a long list attached to this episode guys. So be sure to spend some time clicking through each and every name and go and support. Just sort of as we wrap things up, um, do you have any advice or words of encouragement for other members of the LGBTQIA plus community who would like to start creating online content and sharing their experiences, but maybe are a little bit concerned about receiving backlash for sharing their truth. I would say to them the same thing that I, that I would want somebody to say to me, Mm -hmm. uh, because I was, I was very afraid of what people were going to say and how Mm -hmm. it was going to be received. Somebody was saying, a friend of mine was saying fairly recently, uh, there were, there were some kind of, um, issues that were, uh, you know, um, coming up on social media around uh, Black Lives Matter and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were issues that started coming through around sexual violence against uh, children. And the same thing I think is, a, is applicable here. I think that if you think that by being quiet that that's going to like protect you or save you like that, no. Mm. Like, no, um, I was very much afraid of sharing my experiences, uh, with people publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there have been some people who have, um, been problematic in a number of different ways, but those problematic people have always been there. Mm-hmm. Even when I wasn't uh, producing any kind of content, um, I was, faced with that kind of thing, I had to deal with that kind of thing in my, I guess, daily life all the time. And just because I'm not creating content doesn't make that go away. So if that's something that you're afraid of, if you're afraid that people are going to say things, or you're afraid of judgment, the judgment is already there. The people that are going to judge you are there and they're going to be who they are and that's a given either way. So you might well go ahead and create great content. Like you should just do it. If you love it, if you want to do it, do it oh, that's that's great advice actually thank you our time has come to an end for this recording of almost air the almost podcast but i would like just like to say a massive thank you for joining us in our digital studio and for being so open and honest and thoughtful with your sharing and um yeah thank you so much for joining us and for for sharing your story and for shining a light on creators and creatives and a community that is in need of support and yeah so thankful for you to come on the show thank you for having me like i really really enjoyed this conversation yeah Yeah. this was awesome thank you zuri 